What show about boomers would be complete without a walk down memory lane? And we're going to do that this week with TV. And of course, why would we do that? Boomers are the first generation to grow up with television. In addition to that, boomers were some of the first TV stars, such as Tony Dow and Jerry Mathers, Isles of the Beaver. Jay North was Dennis the Menace. Gee whiz, Mr. Wilson. And Lauren Chapin in Father Knows Best. Ron Howard in The Andy Griffith Show. And, of course, his brother Clint Howard in Gentle Ben. And many more that aren't nearly as famous. Of course, boomers are now golden agers, as they say. And so we've gone through a lot of different decades of television. And we're going to just start out with the 50s. And one of the biggest genres at that time were kids' westerns. They were extremely popular with kids back then. Number one on that list has got to be Roy Rogers from 1951 to 1957. And of course, his theme song and ending song was Happy Trails to You Until We Meet Again. Yeah, you remember it. Roy was so popular, he could even get away with having his sidekick pretty much be a girl, which was Dale Evans, his real-life wife. Or, wait a minute, maybe it was his horse Trigger. Anyway, Roy came out of the serials, and he had also sung with the Sons of the Pioneers, so he had a good background in radio and movies, but... It was time for TV, and kids were all over the place as baby boomers, so had to do some programming for us. Next on the list, Gene Autry from 1950 to 1955. And of course, his song was, Back in the saddle again, Out where a friend is a friend. And we all remember that one, too. He actually owned the California A's. He had managed the money he'd made in the entertainment business very well. So he was able to invest in a lot of different things. He also wrote and performed Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I had a very shiny nose. And, of course, here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. Right down Santa Claus Lane. He kind of stumbled into an area that was very profitable for him, wrote a bunch and performed them Christmas songs. And his sidekick was the famous Pat Buttram, also known as Mr. Haney on Green Acres. We can add to that list the Cisco Kid with the famous tagline or catchphrase at the end of every show, I Pancho. I Cisco, between he and his sidekick, uh, Lone Ranger, which, of course, we all remember the sidekick Tonto talking to him as Kimo Sabi. Then we had Annie Oakley, the sharpshooting gal from Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. She was a real-life character, and uh, it was uh, something... For the little girls. 
We guys loved her just as much, though, even if we wouldn't admit it. Then, of course, Zorro, the swashbuckling hero of early California days. And uh, Zorro's trademark was he would uh, zip with his uh, sword a Z in the clothing of the bad guys. Yeah, it was the greatest. Now, all these shows were adaptations of old serialized shorts that were shown at the Saturday afternoon matinee before television came along. They were aimed at kids up to 12 to 13 years of age and followed a pretty much a formula every week. Then you have the adult westerns, which also appealed to kids, but were about some more serious uh, types of things like gambling, saloons, uh, beer halls, places like that. And of course, places where the ladies were, which back in those days as kids we didn't know were body houses. Anyway, in this genre, you've got Maverick starring James Garner as Brett and Jack Kelly as his brother Bart. Uh, They ran around the West and uh, actually were halfway con men, halfway good guys. They always were fighting evil people, though. That's the thing. They were kind of uh, wily and kind of uh, lived by their wits, but they always fought evil. Then you have Cheyenne with Clint Walker, big old guy, who was uh, actually captured by Cheyenne Indians and raised by them. He would later go on to be one of the famous Dirty Dozen from the film of the same name. Then you have Wyatt Earp, starring Hugh O'Brien. Gunsmoke, longest-running adult western that was out there, with James Arness. Now, John Wayne was slated to be Matt Dillon on TV. Gunsmoke was actually a radio show beforehand, and the part of Matt Dillon was voiced by William Conrad. You remember him as Cannon and Jake and the Fat Man. They didn't want him to be Matt Dillon on the show because he was short and a little bit chubby, to say the least. So they slated John Wayne, he turned it down, and he actually introduced James Arness as the star of Gunsmoke on the first episode and told everybody that they would really enjoy his work. I'd say mighty nice of him to do that for the guys. Then you had The Rifleman with Chuck Connors, who started out as an athlete. He played center for the Boston Celtics, but left to go play baseball for the Dodgers and was later traded to the Cubs. They sent him to their farm team at the time, which was the Los Angeles Angels, owned by Gene Autry, and he was spotted and got into the acting business. But... He was in The Rifleman, and we'll never forget the way he would spin that uh, uh, short uh, Henry rifle around and rapid-fire it. There was Wanted, Dead or Alive, mostly of note because it starred Steve McQueen. Then there was The Rebel, 
again, mostly of note because Nick Adams was in it. And of course, one of the biggies along with Gunsmoke was Bonanza, starring Lorne Green as Paul and uh, three brothers, most notable of which was played uh, by Michael Landon, Little Joe, uh, who went on to fame in uh, other shows and uh, productions. All of those westerns, pretty much, that we've talked about today can be seen on places like MeTV and Pluto TV because there is a serious need for content, and these shows provide it. Plus, again, we boomers love to walk down memory lane when we see these shows. Let's move on to superheroes and heroes. They mostly were pulled from comic books and the newspaper funnies. Number one, of course, and he's still a biggie, is Superman. Who of we boomers will forget? It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. It's Superman. With those words, each episode started, and we sat enthralled to see all of the things that he would get into and save the day always. Now, his heartthrob was Lois Lane, and his sidekick was Jimmy Olsen. And they had the irascible Perry White as their boss at the Daily Planet newspaper, where Superman's alter ego because of his secret identity, was Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter. Then there was Dick Tracy. His adopted son was Junior. And the most notable thing about Dick Tracy was that he had a cast of criminals with special characteristics and or deformities. Uh, there was prune face, flat top, mumbles, Itchy, measles, breathless Mahoney, the mole, and there were a ton more that we won't remember as well. But it was always great to watch Dick battle these people. Now comes a genre I know a lot of you have been waiting for, and it's your favorite. It's certainly one of mine. I consider it one of the highest art forms out there, and that's animated cartoons. And TV came along, and they used older ones that had been around since the 30s, kind of as filler for content, especially on local kids' shows. And let me tell you, as one of those kids back in the 50s, we loved it. Now, one of the studios, which actually did most of its work in the 60s, was J. Ward Productions, and their probably most prominent work was Bullwinkle and Rocky, and it starred Bullwinkle himself and Rocky, Rocket J. Squirrel, <laughs> and had the character of Boris Badenov who spoke with a heavy Russian accent, Boris Badinov, 
And of course, the name is a play on the story of Boris Gudinov. And his uh, sidekick or partner was Natasha Fatal, a play on Femme Fatal. And their boss was Fearless Leader. We would delight each week in Boris having no plan to get moose and squirrel. And Natasha saying, yes, Boris, darling. So (laughs) it was a great running gag. And, of course, they also featured cartoons with Dudley Do-Right. He was an upright, mounted policeman who had a voice like this. Oh, no! A Mountie always gets his man. And there were the fractured fairy tales narrated by the actor Edward Everett Horton. Uh, Peabody's Improbable History, you'll remember that. Uh, Mr. Peabody was a dog, and he had a pet boy named Sherman. And then, of course, there was Aesop and Sons Fables, narrated by the actor Charlie Ruggles. You'll remember him as Ms. Drysdale's father on the Beverly Hillbillies. They were great fun, and they were intended for kids and adults. Both could follow it because there were lots of double entendres and little jokes that involved current events and politics. Then we have Hanna-Barbera, which uh, are two men, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, who started out working on the Tom and Jerry cartoons at MGM. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when let go in 1957, they formed their own company and started their own empire, which reaches, gosh, up into the early 2000s. So we'll talk more about some of the characters that they created in the 60s and later on in other episodes. But for right now, we're sticking with the 50s. And together with Screen Gems, they pitched an idea to NBC that was picked up, and it was the Rough and Ready show. And it used what they called limited animation, which made the cartoons cheaper to produce, thereby making them viable to be created just for television and never going into movie theaters as feature shorts. The Rough and Ready show started in 1957, and featured some different uh, short subjects. And this is where we get some of the most beloved cartoon characters, two boomers, uh, from this show. We got Pixie and Dixie, along with their nemesis, Mr. Jinx the Cat, uh, Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, and their nemesis, Ranger Smith, Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy, Two weenie dogs, uh, and Wally Gator, Quick Draw McGraw, and Baba Louie, which those of you who are Howard Stern fans know that that spawned the famous phrase, Baba Bowie. Along with them, they brought their key voice actor, who was Dawes Butler. He had done the voice of Droopy and several, oh, kind of dog characters and so forth and was characterized by a southern drawl, and this would be Huckleberry Hound's voice. 
Dawes Butler was a genius. He's right up there with Mel Blanc. And you know his voice in a lot of cartoons. Then we move on to MGM. And of course, Hanna-Barbera started there with primarily the Tom and Jerry animated shorts that were first seen in theaters and then were, I guess you'd say, ported to the medium of television. And they had some great characters, uh, Nibbles and some of the other ones. There was Quacker, who was in uh, a lot of them as the duck, who was a little duck that was... I guess you might say orphaned and always mistook uh, Tom the cat as his mother. And of course, Tom just wanted to eat him and Jerry would always save him. Uh, One of the big recurring uh, themes. Then there was Spike the dog, who was Tom's nemesis always. And another notable character that boomers will remember was Mammy Two-Shoes. She was the black maid who would uh, tell Thomas to get after the mouse and smack him with a broom and so forth. Uh, She has been eliminated because of some racist stereotypes. And uh, we won't go into that here, but uh, it was a good character, but again, racism. Another genius in the MGM stable was Tex Avery. Now, Tex started out at Warner Brothers, and due to some creative differences with Leon Schlesinger, took off and switched to MGM. Tex's characters and cartoons at uh, MGM were just described as sheer lunacy. One of the things that he would do is travelogue type things and so forth with a narrator, and they would have goofy little illustrations. Of course, his most famous MGM character is probably Droopy, which you'll remember from his tagline, You know what? I'm happy. His nemesis in several episodes was Butch the Dog, And Butch would uh, try to get rid of Droopy in every manner possible, and Droopy would always win out in the end. Uh, He also had the nemesis in several cartoons of a wolf, and again with the same result. Droopy was a very lovable character and appealed to everybody who loves the underdog. Another of Texas characters was Red, who was a voluptuous, beautiful redhead with great big blue Cupid doll eyes that was featured in several droopy cartoons as uh, somebody that the wolf was going after, with every implication of wolf, of course. And Droopy would get a kiss from her at the end in thanks for having saved the day. There was Screwy Squirrel, who was in direct contrast of the cutesy-wootsy characters 
that Disney had there. As a matter of fact, in several cartoons, he and other protagonists in the cartoon would break the fourth wall and talk to the audience about how sappy other cartoons were. A direct slap at Disney Studios. And then, of course, you have one of my favorite duos, which is George and Junior, inspired by the characters from Of Mice and Men, where George says, Bend over, Junior, and gives him a swift kick in the behind because Junior is so dopey. And then, of course, Junior has the obligatory speech in every one of their cartoons, I would like a friend, a little friend to have and hold. I used to have a little friend, but now he don't move no more. Well, again, folks, I see by the old clock on the wall that my time is up for this episode, and I haven't even gotten through with the animated cartoons yet. I'm going to start next episode with the biggest of the biggies, of animated cartoons and continue on with our walk down memory lane of television of the 50s. So until next week, this is Pete Moss signing off. How's that for a cliffhanger, folks?